0: Spurs in full cry here. Look at
1: Welcome listeners to The Extra Inch, my name's Windy and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend Bandy, hello (laughs) Bandy Hi Windy And our tactics guy and give me an N, give me an A, give me a C, it's Nathan A. Clark, hello Nathan
2: Hello Windy uh, uh cheerleading this weekend yeah cheerleading so i i was um on another stag do paintballing again and uh i provided the uh hilarious costume for the groom which meant as the best man i got given the in-house stock cheerleading outfit to wear to paintball so that was fun
1: it looks good on me yeah, you know you made behind. it look you made it look fantastic very <laughs> slimming i thought Uh, So, with all the horrible shit that's happening in the world today, sometimes it's nice to take 40 minutes out of your schedule and get a dose of positivity and inspiration. And this month, I'm delighted to say we're partnered with Humans of Purpose, a weekly podcast with purpose-driven leaders whose work is having a positive social impact. We got a message from Mike Davis who is uh, an ex-sub. He's also Australian, as is the podcast. And Mike was saying, hey, Wendy, have a listen to my pod. I think you'll find that uh, our values are aligned and I think you'll enjoy it. And I'm not going to lie, I tend to get lots of these sorts of messages. Having a platform, people want us to promote their stuff. And uh, often I go and listen to a few minutes of their offering and I realise pretty quickly that it's not for me. This couldn't be further from the truth in this case. I really loved Mike's style. I loved the guests. And I found it really fascinating. The podcast is based around stories of people who carved out careers dedicated to social impact. And Mike, um, through Mike, we learn from these people uh, about how we can do our bit potentially and find work that aligns to a higher social purpose. And also just to stay informed about what organisations and initiatives are out there uh, and leaders in, in that space. Mike's guests come from leading charities, social enterprises, purpose-driven businesses, but they also include authors, politicians, philanthropists, and more. In this week's episode, Mike speaks to David Bartlett, who he describes as one of the most inspiring people he's ever met. David tells us in the episode how he's gone from being raised under the care of the state to running the state, being a successful leader across a range of sectors and raising a family at the same time and he speaks about having a purpose in life and refining that and reviewing it as much as possible as you go and also about understanding that life is about chapters or seasons and you don't necessarily need to dedicate your whole life to any one cause in particular. There's so much more besides that it's a really fascinating conversation and over the next three weeks we'll talk to you about three other episodes of Humans of Purpose that I think you'll really enjoy. I think you'll be inspired to download and listen to them if you want to do that uh, go to humans of purpose in your podcast player just type that in if you like it make sure you hit the subscribe button and leave a review you can also learn more about the show at humansofpurpose.com and mike has said that if anyone wants to send him a note to say that they enjoyed the pod or for future guests maybe you can contact him at mike at humansofpurpose.com and I want to give a shout out to our ex-sub Rajiv Chabra, who went to his first match yesterday. He said he felt like a little kid filled with excitement and was grateful to the ex-sub family that welcomed him for a pre-match beer. Buddy, you're part of the ex-sub family that welcomed Rajiv for a beer.
0: Yeah, it was great to meet him. He we did a kind of like pre-game prediction and he was quite close. He said 4 1. So he was I said 4 uh, Pretty. Yeah, but no one heard you say 4-1 <laughs> did. <Wendy. laughs> You just said it to yourself, and then I know what you're like. You just lie or change change the terms of it. But um, he actually said in front of all of us that it'd be 4-1. So, yeah, good on him.
1: Nice. I, I predicted 4-1 in the Discord. It was in response to Connor saying 4-0, and then I got called negative for saying 4-1, which I thought was amusing. Uh, Nathan, what
2: have you been up to on Patreon? Uh, this week, not a lot. I uh, So I'm about to move house, which means that <laughs> the podcast may suffer for a couple of weeks. I'm going to lose internet access. Um I've downloaded some some set pieces ready to do when I'm offline for a while. And um, the idea is to do an online thing this week. So this week, probably, I think, I'm going to be doing something on Twitch. I'm going to be doing a two-part thing. The first part I can do on Twitch because there's no match footage involved. And then the second part will be back behind the paywall on Discord and and such. So, um, yeah, I think I'll leave it at that for now.
1: And how can people find our Twitch
2: uh, uh, I believe it is something like Twitch.tv/slash The extra That is correct. Mm. That is okay,
1: correct. <laughs> did you know I that? I did. Yeah, I was, just, I was you just testing. I was okay. just t- testing our boy Nathan, okay. teasing him. Um, <laughs> and Bardi you have been making appearances
0: on national radio it yeah it was quite unexpected but um you you had faith in me Wendy i was like you're Emerson Royale. you put me in and, and thought that i could have a good game and i'm i'm quite happy with how it went my um my mother-in-law wanted to know why i didn't have my face on it i had to explain to her even though she's an old lady that it's radio and faces you don't put, tend to put your face <laughs> on the radio but it was um it was nice and they kind of told me to, to go after Chris Sutton and Robbie Savage, but perhaps I went after Chris Sutton a bit too hard. There's, and that's why he...
2: You can't go uh, go after Chris Sutton hard enough ever, in my <laughs> opinion.
0: Yeah. But it seemed to really upset him, he, and He gave the win to the Newcastle fan, which was outrageous, to be honest with you.
1: So this was uh, Gone in the 60 Suttons, which is a terrible title for the little part of their 606 show. Uh, I actually quite yeah. like Robbie Savage. I think he's, you know... Dick of a footballer, but he's, he's quite likable as a presenter. uh Although mm-hmm. his views are not the, not the best. um But so it was like a it was like a fighting talk kind of thing. And I thought there's no one better that I know than the most competitive man I've ever come across. And that is bardi <laughs> He's perfect. But they they got
0: your name wrong, mate. They did. They called me Bandy, which I, I I don't even know where that came from. They seen your legs. Uh, it was yeah. But the, the thing is, all everyone remembers now is is that I was called Bandy and. Yeah, no one—they've all forgotten all my De Niro comments and going after Newcastle and Alan Shearer. Now one people only remember Bandy, which is a real shame. It was
1: brilliant, mate. I was very proud of you. I thought you—I thought you were magnificent. I liked your—I liked your uh, Newcastle, the biggest team in Newcastle line. That was excellent. <laughs>
0: <Thank> <laughs> very you, really. nice. As you long done. as I make you proud, if I make you proud, then then I'm winning at
1: life. You yeah. can tell listeners that we're all a bit hyperactive. We're all a bit excited. Mm today uh off the back of a 5-1 victory it feels pretty damn good um i'm going to say i'm going to say never in doubt now i know that was not the consensus at half time there were a lot of people who were kind of a little down on the first half performance. For me, that is the the best I've seen us maintain attacks since Conte has arrived at the club. I thought the way we mm. recycled the ball and kept the pressure on throughout the first half, despite Newcastle defending resolutely and pretty well in the first half, I was really impressed with our play. Really, really impressed. And I just thought it was a matter of time before we... Uh, before we got a goal, and then they'd be chasing the game, and it would lead to more. I mean, it didn't quite work out that way in the end. Uh, but uh, let's start with the the lineup: Bardi, Doherty playing left wing back, and Emerson Royale, who you mentioned earlier, brought in on the right. What did you make of that?
0: I mean, I think I'd be lying to say if I wasn't concerned with our the wingbacks that started. And even though, like you said, we we controlled possession in the first half better than I've seen us do it for ages. I was still worried that we wouldn't get the penetration or the end product we needed from from our wingbacks. And I, I I wasn't down about the first half. I was really happy we went in one one. I think had we gone in at one nil, then maybe the nerves would have settled in. But i was I was concerned about our fullbacks for sure I just didn't think I didn't think they had it in them, and I'm glad to be proven wrong
1: yeah, getting that equalizer was absolutely critical you know it, it changes the the dynamic of the half time team talk I mean I didn't think we deserved to be behind it was a goal from nothing really wasn't it um and i I, I don't want to criticize Lloris because it does feel like we criticize him quite a lot these days but he he, he surely has to that's on his side right he has to do better with that freaking. i mean
0: I put in here, I put in our running order, the defensive uh, wall setup because yeah. they took a long time to put that together. They did. And it was, I think if you're going to take that much time to, pro- to put something together in order to protect yourself, then as a goalkeeper, you need to be looking after your side of the goal. And I I think Newcastle were very smart the way they positioned their players to block him off and he didn't see it until late. But I just thought if you're going to take that much time and effort to create a wall, do it better. And I think it's something that they need to learn from.
1: Mm. But then, Nathan, we pretty much went right up the other end and uh, and Son whips in a fab- fabulous ball, which the Welsh Maldini got his head on.
2: <laughs> the Welsh Maldini. <laughs> yeah, so after the corner, it comes back out to Son, um, which does kind of point to... I mean, the, so the thing with the lineup is like, I... I was feeling okay about it, you know. I I thought that um, Roy Howard looked good coming off the bench recently. I thought I'd like to see him um, get a match alongside Kulusevsky, and that would be good for him uh, against a lesser side. I don't hate Doherty on the left, and I think that, again, you saw it. There's this thing where, like, when he takes crosses from the right, he hits them on the run and and plays them early. When he's on the left, he has to take the touch Mm -hmm. back onto his strong foot. And he has a much better delivery mm. <laughs> from from the left, just because of the habits it forces him into. Um, see, I, I didn't I didn't hate that at all, and I thought that it could have potentially been like a um, like a good stock raiser for 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 either one or both of them. Um, and then, sort of in the second half, because like it was sort of piling up, right? Newcastle were just completely surrendering midfield to us and allowing uh, Hoiberg and Bentancur a lot of time on the ball. Um, which I think is you know <laughs> pretty pretty suicidal basically in terms of of, of, of. Just any kind of football match. Um, and so, yeah, there was a burden of creativity on the wing-backs, but I, I just felt like over the course of the game, even even if you don't rate either of these two, they're going to turn up something if you just mm-hmm. keep letting them have have so much time. Um, which I don't really think is what materialised. What materialised is Newcastle... It's like we talked about before with West Ham. They came out in the second half and decided that they can play football. And there's nothing Conte wants more than a... a, a not great team trying to push up and and play the ball and commit players forwards and and leave space in behind them so it was complete like i don't think we changed much at all maybe in the, maybe we saw more of um, the likes of Kane, Kuliszewski, and Son drifting into wing back zones, which is how we sort of also got the first goal in the first half. Um, but maybe that is just a result of having space to counter into. Mm-hmm. So Newcastle just kind of gave the game away. I don't really get why, to be honest.
1: Yeah, no, I can com- I completely agree. The the second goal, so Doherty's header from the magnificent Kane cross comes from Newcastle miss hitting a pass out. It was Cher actually, who'd scored the free kick, miss hits a pass out from the back and is intercepted. I think Kane intercepts it himself. Uh, but by the time he crosses it, they're back into a sort of 4-5-1 defensive shape. And they look quite you know, they look quite well positioned to deal with the cross, but such is the brilliance of the ball. The delivery is just incredible. Um and look, Manquillo doesn't cover himself in glory at the back post, but it's such a good ball it's it's going to trouble any defense frankly you know the 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 corridor of uncertainty as they used to call it between the the last defender and the goalkeeper it's such a difficult part of the pitch to defend um and and Doherty made it count he sort of stooped in and 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 made it count at the back post and then the floodgates opened yeah yeah. I mean we got the third quickly right it's um and the third goal is a thing of beauty i i urge you if you've not watched it back go back and rewatch that third spurs goal and and then any time you hear spurs fans in the stadium groaning about playing out from the back or risky passes at the back tell them to shut up and show them a clip of that goal because it is the perfect example of why playing out from the back when you're as good as we are is a good thing to do we we it's Dyer and Hueybeer and Lloris, they're sort of the tight interplay, and they draw Newcastle onto them. And what it means is that we create spaces that weren't there before, and Kane's able to pass fantastically to Kulosevsky, who takes one touch to set himself. Really good touch, by the way, down the line. Looks up. Feeds in a lovely ball, which Son controls on his left, finishes on his left. And that pretty much is game over at that point.
0: I mean, it helps that Newcastle's press is pathetic. That, that really helps us. And But to be fair to Lloris, some of his passing was all right on the weekend. But there is always that fear. And you, you can sense it. I'm sure you feel it on TV as well. But you can sense it in the, in the crowd when we try to pass out. I think for the most of the time, we're okay, especially against a team like Newcastle. And I think it was just waiting, waiting for them to get tired because Shelby is, doesn't move. Willock, Willock is all right. He, you know, he buzzes around, but he doesn't do much. And it was always going to be a question of time. Joe Linton is, is pathetic. Fraser, uh, Chris Wood, they're, they're, they're a team of like, pieces of wood. They're logs, man. They don't move at all. St. Maximam is is Okay. But um, he had a bright first 10, 15 minutes. And then once Emerson got his confidence back, it was, it was game over for him. It was just always a matter of time before they opened up. And they pretty much did a West Ham. And it is, it's great to see us not only score goals, but punish teams as well. And I, I really think the, the fifth goal is, is an example of that, of, of players coming on that want to do something, want to prove something. And they're not just coming on just to make up the numbers and see out the minutes. They're coming on to actually do something. And, and it's, it's a great moment for Tottenham.
1: Shout out to Eric Dyer on the fifth goal. Really aggressive front foot piece of defending. Sort of wins the ball incredibly aggressively and then um feeds Son, I think, um and it ends up, you know, really, really nice finish from Bergvijn from a sort of Luca typical Lucas run, sort of looking like he's bitten off more than he can chew, but actually gets to it anyway uh, and, and feeds it through. I mean, you um, can't you nice can't finish. fault
0: anybody. I thought everybody played really well. Mm. Um, I, I, there was made the one mistake from Loris on the free kick. Other than that, I thought everyone had a great game. Mm. Perhaps Sun could have scored a few more. Perhaps Bergvijn. I think Bergvine had a wonderful shot. I don't. It's been oh, a yeah. forgotten in, in all the highlights. And I don't think even Match of the Day 2 showed it. But he did have a wonderful strike, which um, just went over. And it, it's a really nice thing to see us playing with confidence and playing with some style and, and playing with some swagger. And that back three, Romero, Dyer and Davies, looks really good on the ball, off the ball. Romero, is, he's just something else. And he just keeps growing and improving every game.
1: He is a ridiculous player. Uh, I I don't quite know how we've got him. I think he is one of the best defenders I've ever seen. <laughs> Genuinely. I I just think he's marvelous. You know, we've had some unbelievable defenders at Spurs over the years. You know, I'm privileged to have watched Ledley King when I was sort of in my in my formative years. Well, Sol Campbell before that was a was a fabulous defender, as much as I hate to say it now. And then King, watching him come through and grow as a player alongside to become you know a, a leader. And then Vertonghen and Vareld, who I you know I think at his peak is the best I've seen at Spurs. And uh, Romero is playing at the moment, you know, early days. At the moment, for me, he's playing at a level even above that. I think it, the, this level he's playing at is the best level I've ever seen a defender play at for Spurs. I think he is unbelievable. Wow. Be- better than Underverald at his peak. I really think... I mean, because Underverald's passing was obviously something special, right? Mm. You know, not only was he a great game reader, he was he was physical enough um, and he could ping one. Uh, but But Romero... So he is... Not only a brilliant game reader, he's also a shit house. He's super, super aggressive, but he makes it count. He wins the ball more often than not. And he travels with the ball like like Lucas, you know? He, he's up there with our best dribblers. It's ridiculous how comfortable he is in possession.
2: He's better at playing the ball after the dribble than Lucas is.
1: He is. He genuinely is. I think he could play as a defensive 10.
2: <laughs> there was a moment, uh, we were already a couple of goals up. There's a moment where he wins the ball with an aggressive challenge and then he stays on the ball. He runs up with it. Yeah. And, um, he's looking to make a counter, but there isn't a sufficient runner ahead of him and he just sensibly holds onto the ball, waits for a sideways pass to open up and just lets us slip into sort of settled possession rather than trying to force a needless counter. I just thought that is so, so smart, so aware. Because normally a centre-back gets excited in those moments. Like, oh, I'm I'm getting to do some attacking now. But Mm. he's so aware, so calm, so, so... Mature. Mature. Yeah, mature. Mature is a good word.
0: I mean, I I get carried away with certain things. You you guys have known me long enough. And after I saw Bele's debut against Villa, I was like, he's the greatest midfielder we've ever had. (laughs) The greatest midfielder we've ever seen at Tottenham. I got really excited over Paulinho because he was scoring goals. And I thought he was, before Ndombele, going to be our greatest ever midfielder. So I don't want to curse Romero, but he is incredible and you're right Wendy. he's he's got everything it needs to become the best defender that we've seen in my lifetime anyway he's he's a wonderful wonderful footballer he 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 looks good and he plays good and he's got a little bit of everything from all those players you've listed and I, I would even add I mean I'm not a huge Michael Dawson fan but he even has the Michael Dawson enthusiasm just to go and get the mm-hmm. ball but instead mm-hmm. of but he does it cleanly you know Michael Dawson was shotgun Romero's like he's a scalpel he's a wonderful wonderful defender
1: So that's the bit I missed in my summary of his abilities. He has that quality that the best defenders do, where it seems like the ball is attracted to them because they're always Mm. in the right place. Uh, That moment where he makes that diving last minute challenge is a game-changing moment. The ball's probably going to go in the bottom corner and he stops that happening single-handedly. And not just that, you know, even before that, he'd made a really aggressive bit of closing down. He knows when to sort of... You know, he knows when it's, oh shit, I've got to do something about this at this moment in time. I've got to deal with it. And he takes responsibility. He just, oh my God, he's so good at reading the game. It's ridiculous. For a 23-year-old centre-back, it is ridiculous. Centre-backs famously mature late. In fact, we have a question on this from Brendan O'Connor who says, is Romero as good or better than Virgil van Dijk uh, was when he was Romero's age? Um, He's kind of thinking whether Romero can be as dominant a player as as van Dijk is for Liverpool or has been for Liverpool.
2: So at 23, (coughs) van Dijk was uh, or has sort of just moved from Celtic to Southampton. He he arrived with a a lot of uh, hype and expectation from, you know, my mates, the football nerds. he, I don't know, he, he definitely had some sort of sloppy games and sloppy moments at Southampton, but then he was also like he was playing under Ronald Koeman... Um, uh who else in that run um yeah. i don't think he was around for hughes no he was gone before i'm gonna baselessly claim that he probably looks good at the end under pellegrino right Mm -hmm. um so for him to have looked as good as he did under under some pretty poor management in some pretty poor teams um i don't know it's kind of hard to say because it's in different circumstances um, I don't know, the, the I guess the the real question here is like, is Romero going to continue to improve and step up? And I kind of I think that he is simply hitting his peak really early. I because you look at him and it's like, what areas of his game do you want him to improve? Like, where are the areas he can work on? other than like um be better at switching to a more passive style when needed but like you almost don't want him to lose his edge you want him to have that characteristic to his game and say let's base the team around knowing he's going to be like that mm. so um i don't know what what do you i guess you want him to be better on defensive set pieces but that's not going to like you're not going to put him up a tier as a player because of that right
1: yeah and i and i think that's like an acceptable weakness for me, yeah. you know, it's a defending set pieces is a team effort. You know, yeah. we're already helped by the fact that we play with three centre backs. Traditionally, three of the sort of better headerers of the ball in the, in the team. Um So I think it's you just don't put Romero on their on their biggest threat, and you 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 basically work around that issue.
0: I think the bizarre thing about Romero, I think the it's not a case of him improving; it's just a case of him continuing and holding mm. this form. Because
2: sure, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I think it's once you get to... like How long has he been here now? Say you get to 18 months at Tottenham and he's Mm. still performing at this level, then he'll get recognised. At the moment, he still could be, oh, perhaps this is just a good run of form. And it's when we see it over a longer period of time that this is just how he plays... Yeah. I think perhaps the the yellow card, he he does attract the yellow card. But then, like Nathan said, do you really want to stop him going hunting for the ball and winning those challenges? I don't think so. He's had one sending off, which was in the Europa League. Um, not even Europa League, whatever it was, that Europa Conference. And that I think he probably learned from that. I don't think he's been close to a red card since then. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree that on balance you don't want him to change that part of his game. It's it's really helpful. Um, I, I completely agree. It's just maintaining performance levels now. You know the impact that Van Dyke had for Liverpool was absolutely huge, wasn't it? You know, yeah. You know I mean, they, they they got Allison and Van Dyke, and suddenly they're 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 league title winners. That they're
0: incredible. I think to improve Romero, you improve the players around him. If you give him a slightly better midfielder in front of him, if you give him perhaps a better goalkeeper and better fullbacks, then his level will just increase naturally as the players around him get better. It's like Van uh, Van Dijk. He went from Southampton where he was a good player, and then you put him into a Liverpool team where he has better players around him, and all of a sudden you have a, a superstar defender. And I, I, do think, I do think Romero is one of those potential superstar defenders, and you could see him... Happily playing in a in a Guardiola team or another team in, in three four years time. So
1: that's a good point you made there, Body. And um, you, so Van Dijk plays on the left of Liverpool's back four, um, left centre back, I should say. Uh, and their left back Andy Robertson is is one of the best left backs in the world. And Van Dijk's distribution is fantastic, and he often finds Andy Robertson. You put a good right wing back ahead of Romero on the right, and you're going to get even more out of him. Frankly, you're, you're going to he's going to be the guy playing the pass before the pass. Uh, And that is a very, very exciting thing to to have in mind, I think, for next season.
0: And even the pass into the central midfielder, Huyberg had a good game, but I still think he's a player that we can upgrade on. But can you imagine if, if Romero's passing into, I don't know, a Brozovic type player who could take the ball spin and do stuff with it? I think you'll see Romero improve even more that way.
1: So Carragher gave the man of the match to Harry Kane, uh, having complimented Romero. will Carragher loves Romero. You can tell he loves Romero. He's he's constantly saying, "I like this guy, I like this guy." Um, but he gave the man of the match to Harry Kane because he felt that him getting on the board in the second half is what changed the game. You know, pulling the strings, spraying passes. Have you mentioned the pass he made to Son? You mentioned Son's mischance, buddy. That was from a fantastic Kane pass again, sort of round the corner, over the top. Um, how good did Kane look in the stadium, Bardi?
0: There's, there's something about Kane's through balls that when you see it in like 3D, the ball's there and it's going out. And then it just slows down and then it just drops. And especially the Sun one, it was in my eye line. It It looks like it's going out the pitch, but there's just a fade on it. There's a drop. And I can imagine it, it's like you go to the, the open and you see a proper, you see Tiger Woods hit the ball and it's that kind of spin and that kind of drop on it. It's, it's an incredible thing to watch. Um, and you're right, he probably was man of the match, but it's that kind of thing that he's just so good now. It's just it's, This is just Harry Kane. So for me, I thought Kulusevski was perhaps man of the Ugh. match just because he was outstanding. And it's unfortunately for Kane, he very rarely wins play of the year for us because he's just always good. So you, you don't notice it. You only notice Kane when he's in a slump or he's unfit. And unfortunately for Kane, that's just the stick that we beat him with. I thought Kulusevski was, was brilliant, but of he's course so Kane is brilliant.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I tweeted from the Extra Inch that I think, I couldn't think of a player that had an impact, an attacking player that had an impact like Kulusevski right from the start since Harry Kane. And um, and Ben from We Did a Radio Corrected Me, Delhi was the one. He's the last one that had a similar impact immediately on our on our attack. Kudelski is seriously special. Uh, we, we we've spoken about him a lot over the last few weeks, and of course we have because he's consistently performing. But it's it's not just the goals and assists, is it? It's his general round play. He's such a smart player, Nathan.
2: Yeah, yeah. I uh I tried before when we were talking about the difference between Kudelski and Lucas to sort of tone things down a little bit. <laughs> I didn't want because obviously we get. Um, some pushback on our criticism of Lucas, but I wanted to sort of be reasonable and get a larger sample and, and, and say, look, Lucas does offer us this dribbling sometimes and we need that and there's something else going on, but. But oh my goodness, it just feels so much better yeah. with Kulicevsky in the team. We just work, we just function so much better in, in every situation, really. Um, man, we've wasted some time playing Lucas <laughs> in our first 11. I'm sorry, I know that's really yeah. sort of harsh. and I'm, We're kicking a player when you're asking me to celebrate another one. But I, it, the brilliance of Kulicevsky really does bring to mind... Um, the the number of minutes that Lucas has played in our first 11. absolutely he, levels above him.
0: He has the, the work rate and the intensity of Lucas. Yeah. And, he has everything that Lucas doesn't have. And you're right, I, I don't need to go in on Lucas, but um I just we should just enjoy Kulosewski. He's got a first touch, which is wonderful. He's got an ability to pick out a pass. He um set up the goal with his his right foot. He's he's got a little bit of everything, and he, he's just going to get better. And I, I do see him coming central. I just see it at some point that we'll move inside and he will become a our third midfielder. I just I just see that he's got he's not limited to playing out wide and cutting in on his left he's got a little bit of everything
1: i think he's got that kind of kevin de bruyne quality where he could play in any position effectively you know de bruyne has played central midfield both wings and up front this season and i think kulishevsky could do the same i I think he can make any position work he's just a quality (laughs) talented player
2: it's uh it's kind of one of those ones where we we talk about uh versatility being a weakness right he played a lot of games up top for juventus and they he didn't you know bag a bunch of goals and they labeled him a flop <laughs> so yeah he can play up top but you you got to you got to think about what you're asking from sweden did the same thing but then you know obviously they the makeup of their mm-hmm. squad is is not that much under their control um yeah, I, I wouldn't want to play him up top too much or and when I do I want to understand that he's there as more of a kind of a ten type player with some hold up play. But yes, he's definitely definitely a versatile player. And he and he can even, you know, do a bit of the wing back stuff here and there. Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: I mean not scoring Juventus not scoring a lot of goals it's just something Juventus do they take the one of the best goal scorers at, at the current time Vlaovic and then he goes to Juventus and he, he stops scoring so I, I think it's really unfair that people use that as something oh he didn't do anything and for me it's a good thing that they think he failed because we got a really good player for cheap because he, it's, this is an absolute steal the price we're getting him for for sure
1: uh, and on the other side Matt D says, is it just me or is Son seeming a lot more comfortable and effective at picking up the ball deep in Conte's system? And has Conte adjusted to make it work for Son? Seems like he does a lot of quick touches deep and then turns and makes those dangerous runs. And actually, this was something I picked up on too and was going to talk to you both about. It's something I criticised Son for earlier in the season, coming deep and having quite loose touches with his back to goal. And it was much improved against Newcastle. But I do think that Matt's onto something. I think the fact is that we are just, as a team, more um, adept with Conte's system. We know what's happening. And so he, there's, there's not that moment of uncertainty in Son's mind, which is like, oh, I've got to control the ball and also think what's happening next. It's natural now. He knows what's happening next. So he, controlling the ball is his only focus. <laughs> Nice. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. I like it. Uh, so the, yeah, another Spurs player becomes an ex sub.
2: oh can we can we are we loud can we talk about that no we just leave that suspicious leave that mysterious okay (laughs) um yeah i feel like he's just sort of simplifying what he's doing in those moments he's not trying to turn in those situations anymore he's controlling and releasing and then getting back to you know maintaining being a threat and behind i still think like he's still not great in that position obviously and you can't ask too much um but yeah i do think he's simplified a little bit what he's doing there
0: Mm-hmm. And I think the, the understanding of the players often also helps. If if you've got players moving into space and players available and just simply the pass into Sun is better, then it just makes mm-hmm. everything easier for everybody.
1: That's it. I think everything's happening in the right order now uh, because there's the use of the system and it just feels like a well-oiled machine. It's so good to watch. We look like a really, really good side. Um, Chayla Kin says, why don't we talk more about the similarity or contrast between our fullbacks and wingback system under Poch and Conte? Under Poch, it wasn't exactly the same, but a huge amount was also asked of the fullbacks, and at times we played a back three with wingbacks. I get that Conte might expect more of a creative attacking threat from his wingbacks, and that we were a better team in general under Poch, but what else is different about these two eras of Spurs wingbackness? Any thoughts?
2: Okay, so um, under Pochettino, the purpose of the wing-backs primarily is to stretch the opposition and threaten them, therefore opening up more space inside for the likes of Ericsson and Deli to combine with Kane and and sort of go in through the throat. Um, Whereas under Conte, he's not afraid to just put it out wide and just shell the ball into uh, the box from wide areas over and over again until the opposition can't take it anymore um, I, was, I was thinking in the game how like um, quite a bit of the discussion and it's returning to a question that we've had before in previous episodes as well, quite a bit of the discussion around Conte's use of this formation is the idea that he's like a wing-back orientated manager but I don't think he is a wing-back orientated manager, he's a back three orientated manager and the natural consequence is the wing-backs and um, so, yeah, and, and yeah, you'll see more goals from Conte's wingbacks because their their job is to arrive back post as well. Um, I get that, OK, you, you you've sort of said that in the question uh, that we're a better team in general under Poch. What else are the differences? I guess uh, there's, there's um, I don't want to downplay it too much, there's a little less physical demand from the wingbacks under Conte. Um, which again is not to say that that is like not a physically demanding role. We When Niamh when came on, he talked about regularly subbing them off at 60 minutes. Um, but they're not quite having to do quite as many long, long sprints as they had to under Pochettino. And as a result, that opens up the pool of players that we can buy for that role uh, a little more. Um, because, um, because under Pochettino, a lot of the time you're trying to force the opposition to punt it long into the channel and therefore the wing back has to backtrack and quickly cover that space from having also been using their pace as a as that threat to to stretch the opposition. Whereas under Conte they can spend a little bit more time just sort of hanging around um the opposition fullback, waiting for the ball to cross in.
0: Yeah, my kind of my kind of feeling about the Pochettino wingbacks is that they were they were there to to offer a threat, keep yeah. people occupied, but then a lot of the time it they would go deep, and then the ball would be pulled back into yeah. Yeah. The, in that kind of half space for the creative players. And I think with Conte, they're they're much more of um of a of a like a, a sword instead of a shield. And um, yeah, it's just different. It's just a very different style. I do think if. If Conte had um, uh, Danny Rose and Carl Walker, I'd, I'd quite like to see what would happen with that. I think mean, that'd be quite quite nice to see.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Probably a lot of frustration at the quality of crosses. If I'm honest with <laughs> you, that's <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, although Walker's cutbacks were fantastic, both of them developed their 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 crossing game quite a bit um, mm. during the time that they had the roles.
1: So I think. Um, I think the fourth goal demonstrates really nicely the difference between the wingbacks under Poch and Conte. So Doherty uh, comes inside and plays a one-two with Kuleszewski, who's drifted out there, and you know, as Nathan said, cuts back onto his right foot, and then Emerson Real, uh has made the run and ends up basically at the near post. That wouldn't that wouldn't happen, at least not very often under Pochettino, because as Nathan points out, they are there to make up the sort of five vertical. Lines across the the back three or four or five or whatever it might be to to drag players out and create space for others. Deli, Eriksen, etc., etc. Under Conte, they have much more license to hit the hit the box and make something happen. And in that instance, both both wing backs did that. So Dotti with the cross, Emerson Royale with the finish. And I can imagine Conte was sort of very smug about that moment. I I imagine he loves those moments where both wing backs are involved in a goal.
0: It was a really nice moment that royale goal it was um he gets a lot of stick, and this one performance doesn't make me think that he's he's the solution at right wing back but it was great to see him score that, and also it's great for the kind of the continued progression of Doherty. who who they're two players that we 've gone after a lot i 've gone after a lot, and it's great to see them performing,
1: yeah I think Emerson Riau is not the solution, but he's also not the problem he's um he's yeah. he's an adequate player who is a much better fullback than wingback. I think he will be moved on in the summer. I think that makes sense from from his career perspective also and it makes certainly makes sense from our perspective in terms of getting a a square peg for the square hole um acrobonds I'm, I'm going for that as the pronunciation. Uh, contact me already he's got a question for you Nathan he says uh, what do you make of Lisan- Lissandro Martinez from Ajax he's a left-footed centre-back and he's forming a great partnership with Romero in the national team what's his profile like and could they potentially be the Argentine Jan and Toby
2: Oh, I didn't think about the fact that he plays with him um, mm. for Argentina yeah that's a really good point yeah I mean for Ajax he is um, sensational in his ball playing Um Okay, so uh, Ajax play with um, a number six, uh, Alvarez, who is um, he's what uh, Bardi thinks Hoybier is. He's a cement mixer. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, This is despite the fact that they are all about obviously playing the ball. So because of that, um, not very much football happens around him. And so they have to play out through the wide areas, through the fullbacks um, and direct from the centre backs into more advanced midfield positions. Uh, and Martinez is in a very important part in like maintaining the ball under pressure um and managing to progress the ball without ever really using much of his his immediate midfielder um what well, i his defensive profile i feel like he's a somewhat more passive i mean everyone's more passive than um Romero obviously but uh I feel like he's more of a cat. I'm not certain on that. Let no, that, me see how that looks statistically.
1: Yeah, yeah. FP ref says much the same I mean, so okay. very, very 99th percent percentile for tackles, but eighth percentile for blocks, thirteenth for clearances, twenty-fourth for aerials one, so he's he's more cat like, um, judging by by that. Um but yeah, his distribution is absolutely out of this world, according to the data.
0: I mean I don't yeah. know why you're signing this guy to replace Ben Davies who is the best left-sided center back in the world. <laughs> so maybe if he's if he's willing to be Ben Davies understudy then then I'm all for it.
1: Did you give Gentle Ben's goal an extra loud cheer, buddy?
0: Well, I didn't know who it was at first. I thought it was Romero because just from I was at the other end. Uh but when I saw it was Ben it it, it did make me clap a little bit harder. Decent
1: header to be fair.
0: Lovely goal. Absolutely lovely. First ever league, first ever goal he scored at home as well. Yeah. And was it his first goal for four years or something? Um, maybe. The last one I can remember him scoring was maybe one against Huddersfield or Newcastle. So we spoke earlier in the season about Davis finding
1: himself in the box more and more. Um, not just from sort of open play, but from set pieces and sort of him being trusted as one of the key attackers of corners mm. now. Which wasn't a thing back in, you know, when he was playing left back. He was he was sort of normally left back. He was, he was left back in the, in the defensive phase from a corner. Uh, now he's very much seen as um, one of the key threats, and he's doing a pretty good job of making a nuisance of
2: himself. I have Martinez down on my left centre back. Sheet as a dog cat, so oh, right, um, okay. <laughs> uh, a somewhat balanced who vendor uh, who leans more towards aggression but isn't all out anything like Romero. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think he you would want to bring him in as someone who could cover both left and central. I think we'd be looking at him at solely as a left sided uh, a Ben Davies, uh, you know, shadow <laughs> exister. Uh, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, I it's uh I don't think he'd be that cheap. What is his transfer market value looking at? Yeah, they're, so they're looking probably up in the 30 to 40 range. Um it really depends on on how much you feel like you need to replace Ben Davies versus or or upgrade Ben Davies versus other other possible things we need spending money on. But yeah, I like Martinez for sure. i mm-hmm. I'm sold. Okay. <laughs> Uh, this was an interesting
1: question. Frank Polach says, I was wondering if the three of you have any restrictions, limits or boundaries that you set yourselves, whether you feel you have a healthy relationship with football, social media, if it affects your attention span and impacts on other things and whether Wendy, who, as I understand it, is more or less off Twitter, might have a different perspective on this. Um, Bardi, how about you? Do you? Do you set yourself limits?
0: No, I perhaps should, but I, but I don't. But I have found since I since I started muting aggregator accounts and people that <laughs> create content which isn't even there, I'm live a much happier life on Twitter. So I I don't read, I don't receive, I don't see any tweets now which comment or focus on what Conte said after pre-match, after match, post-match. Which is which I'm very sorry for. I beat journalists who do a very good job, but I just I'm not interested in the in that kind of hype now. And um, yeah, just have a much better life with it. Do I set myself limits or boundaries? Not really, but I do tend to stay off social media if we lose. That, and that, that's about it really How about you Nathan? Um,
2: I probably have a somewhat unhealthy relationship with social media uh, I mean you mentioned attention span in the question um, I am as yet undiagnosed with ADHD but I'm extremely confident that that will be my diagnosis eventually um, and as a result like Twitter and ADHD is like a hell of a combination because they the way that they feed into each other is something else um, so no, I think I'd have a very hard time I'm trying to set boundaries like that uh, uh, with Twitter. I think the the only thing that I'm really concerned about, though, is that like. Um I will commit too much time to an argument that doesn't matter with someone in my replies, is that I will just go back and forth in a looping, stupid conversation where neither party are particularly interested in hearing what the other has to say, and just trying to score points, because that is a, a negative fatted of my personality that I can't move on from, and I am determined to, to win every argument with everyone who comes into my replies, basically. Um, other than that, I don't feel particularly uh, damaged by twitter but i do i am on there too much i i for sure
1: yes me too um not so much football twitter football twitter and i are, are, are getting along just fine at the moment <laughs> and when i say football twitter i mean not like actual football twitter which is a horrible, horrible hellhole of a, a, a community um but you know tweeting about football is is just fine right now I find what really helps for me. So recently I've been watching a lot of Spurs matches using Sky Go because I'm at my partner's house and she doesn't have she doesn't have uh, Sky. So I'm watching my laptop on Sky Go and it's delayed a bit. So I put my phone over the other side of the room so I don't find out about goals earlier. And that really improves my enjoyment of, of football. So I kind of, at halftime, I go and pick up my phone and I have a look on Twitter and I might tweet something and have a look at the Discord and I might messaging the discord and that's really nice that's kind of suiting me very well my problem is is like i get i use twitter for politics and news as well not tweeting just reading and i'm definitely in the nathan camp of having an unhealthy relationship and I, I probably do need to start addressing it because i i struggle to watch a tv program now without having my phone in my hand uh you know reading re- doom scrolling at the same time as watching tv shows and i'm constantly having to go back a couple of minutes to catch up on what i've just missed um I don't do this in my partner's presence she, she would find that incredibly annoying so I'm much <laughs> I'm much better behaved when I'm with her and uh, maybe I need to kind of yeah change my behavior a little so I'm less addicted uh, but yeah I, I certainly recommend not looking at Twitter during whilst the game is actually ongoing it's uh, it really enhances the experience for me
2: wish I could buddy <laughs> wish I had control over that
1: <laughs> no, I remember I mean when when Mourinho was in charge I was just tweet I was on Twitter the whole time the whole time because I was bored the game was boring me so I was on Twitter and uh, it was miserable
0: I was also the problem with that is everybody was at home for those for those games yeah yeah, so yeah. There were more tweets, least, yeah yeah there's more tweets happening now there's there's 55,000 Spurs fans at the game. Plus there's people out and about getting on with their lives. So people are naturally missing matches and it's just diluted it a little bit. It's not quite as intense as as it used to be. Even when we lose, it's it's still not quite the end of the world thing. And I think that's just because life has just started again. Whereas before, during lockdown, football was all we had.
2: I remember um, when we were at Wembley, if I wasn't a match, Twitter would be pretty quiet. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So uh, Alistair Gold has reported today that we are being strongly linked with Sam Johnston, the West Brom goalkeeper. He would come on in free. on a free transfer. So, uh, you know, hmm. we're, we're told that Perattici's favourite type of deal is a, a deal that costs very little. Huh. Uh, Johnston is the end of his contract. Uh, he's, he's been in England squads over the years. Uh, he's seen as a sort of fairly competent, reliable goalkeeper. He would be coming in as a backup to replace Gallini. Um, Bardy, is our goalkeeper expert, do you have any thoughts on Johnston?
0: I mean, now I've heard a little bit more context around it, I'm going to like relax a little bit. I okay. was um, <laughs> Nathan was like, "Do you have any opinions?" And yeah, he's not very good. <laughs> but um, I, as a as a free transfer and as a backup, I think it's it's a smart move. He he's English. He's got a, you know he counts towards homegrown, I guess, mm-hmm. and he's okay. I, I would feel pretty confident with him starting uh, cup games, and if we're in Europe, European matches, especially much more than Gallini. He's not going to replace Lloris, but I think as a backup goalkeeper, this could be pretty smart.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's how I feel as well. The only thing is, Brandon Austin signed a new contract this past week, and I don't understand why Brandon Austin would have signed a new contract with Spurs unless he was going to be backup. I mean, maybe, maybe I don't know. Spurs' young goalkeepers seem to keep staying and staying and staying until they're like 23, 24, which is madness to me. But but maybe maybe Austin still will be third choice and maybe he'll be loaned out and this is just a case of preserving value or whatever. and, And Johnson's the real backup choice. I guess I mean, time I've never tell.
0: seen I've never seen Brandon Austin catch a ball, so I I don't know I don't know if he can, but I think um yeah it doesn't make any sense to me. Either.
1: Uh, we we ought to just give a couple of minutes to the World Cup draw. Um, I think it's I'm 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 cringing as I talk about it because I know that Bardi's probably absolutely seething inside. Uh, but the ex subs are pretty excited. So so our ex subs we probably have about forty percent american ex-subs i would say maybe maybe a little less than 40 percent. but the fact that england and the u.s have been drawn in the same group is very exciting to everyone in the discord uh except for the irish folk who <laughs> i i i guess they'll be um maybe they'll enjoy the, the lack of stakes for them uh but it'll be very annoying for them in the meantime uh, and bardi i assume you're supporting anyone but england here
0: Team USA, forty-one percent of of everyone in Discord is now Team USA. I mean, I th- I think me, the Swedes, and the Irish, maybe go. We're going to hire a log cabin in twenty fifth <laughs> of November and just disappear for a few weeks, and let you guys get on with trying to bring it home.
1: I heard you say on on Gone in sixty sixty Suttons, that mm. that England have a very good team.
0: They do have a good team. So it's the best league. I mean, it's the best league in the world. I think you said. I mean, I I have to to win my argument. I have to say a few things. But <laughs> the, <laughs> the Premier League. I was because you need context around this. I was saying that Alan Shearer was scoring goals against. Against pub players, against um, the likes of David Unsworth and Jason Cundy and those kind of players, where Harry Kane is actually scoring goals against the elite of the elite at the moment. The Premier League, without doubt, is has the best players in the world, is not it? So what Kane does now, one of Kane's goals is probably worth 0. 0.75 of of Alan Shearer's. <laughs> so that's what I was saying. And, and the England team is good. I mean, you you came semi-finals in in twenty eighteen, runners up in twenty twenty one. You're on course to to probably do the same again. And if you don't, then it's um, you've failed as far as I'm concerned.
1: I'm I'm quite excited about England's chances. I think um, even in the short time since the Euros, we have sort of moved on a bit. So Grealish is now a starter for England, which is, you know, before he was a sub. And I think Bellingham might now be a starter as well, given how well he played in the international break just gone, how well he's played for Dortmund. I, I, I think uh, Rice and Bellingham could be a viable midfield for England. And yeah, those two moves, I do think... Do you think upgrade us a bit? They make
2: us more dangerous. I'm I'm looking forward to it. The, yeah, I mean, Bellingham. Um, I really like him as either a ten or the most advanced in a three in the midfield two. I'm like, I don't think that's the best role for him. We have such an absurd like depth of quality across sort of our attacking midfield area yeah. um, that I guess he sort of gets pushed deeper into what is probably our weakest spot, which is our our number rates. Yeah, it's a ridiculous squad, uh, And the fact that like Bellingham and Grealish weren't, weren't seeing the team before is kind of silly, but there you go. D- does
1: Mason Mount help alleviate some of those fears? Because he kind of naturally ends up in midfield
2: a lot of the time. Sure, sure, I guess. And then he's, he's, he's defending from the front is strong too. Mm. Interesting group for sure. Like politically. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yes,
1: politically an interesting group. Um, so once more, do check out Humans of Purpose on your podcast player and if you like it, make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave Mike a review, or you can learn more about the show at humansofpurpose.com. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his soundcloud, e Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.